You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Esme Boyce. Esme is a choreographer, a dancer, and director. She and I were in the same year at Juilliard, where she was in the dance division, and I've always admired her energy as a performer and her focus and drive in creating her own work. She is based in Brooklyn, but is currently in Milwaukee for a summer session of the low residency MFA program she's in. So this was recorded over Skype. I hope you enjoy the 122nd episode of The Compass. dark side I I feel like the dark side is a place that I visit periodically and I feel like my best bet as far as staying out of it uh, permanently has been um, really really um, like love love and art making love and connections to the people that I live, live with and make work with um, and kind of remembering the the audience and remembering that what we're doing is a dialogue and that we're talking about or you know, whatever it is it's non I'm thinking a lot about what it is that's communicated through dance um and kind of this non-linear non-verbal um communication and yeah I feel like the dark side it's very easy for me to get really existential really quickly <laughs> um, <laughs> which I feel like actually I'm I'm starting to have words for I'm like oh I went to this existential place where you know art making can feel so far away from real life mm-hmm. oftentimes um and kind of reconnecting constantly with this thing of like if you can't if you can't um engage creatively and with your like deep um kind of childlike part of you, um, then we're lost. <laughs> so kind of having that as a compass, well, a compass, <laughs> of, of where, where my humanity is um, as kind of an anchor for what I do every day. Um, but yeah, I mean, right now the world is so upside down and everything is so overwhelming. All the things that have to happen are so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, especially because my work is pretty abstract, trying to find a way to have your work be political without necessarily having overt political content has been where I have been kind of navigating. And so I feel like the work that I've been making actually is, to me, it is political, 
Um, but kind of the, the legibility of that or um, how the audience might um, understand it might not be necessarily as political. Um, and so my last piece um, was a piece called Interrobang, uh-huh. um, which, is, um, which is actually a question mark and an exclamation point together. Um, so kind of this like... Um, is that an official ter- is that an official term or is that one that you came up with? It's, it's an official term, actually. My, That's amazing. Was, yeah, I know. When I found out that word, I was like, "That's the title." <laughs> <laughs> um, I was kind of playing with ideas of absurdity. Um, this was after Trump happened. Yeah. Um, and so, kind of like, um, yeah, the world kind of crumbling and and kind of understanding absurdity things are becoming less and less um you know they're becoming slippery um and so and so kind of interrobang was intended to be an absurdist um dig into human experience into social life into your own personal internal world into your dreams into all sorts of things and so um an exclamation of of um questioning so kind of this, and also a bit playful. So I think that there is a lot of room in between um, kind of humor and also shock and um, and like the darkness. And, and I think darkness and humor live close to one another and yeah. beauty and it all intermingles. And so this piece was really about kind of the slipperiness of, of meaning. Um, and actually it is about like somatics, I think, and somatics in, in dance too. Like what, what, how, how do we make meaning out of, um, movement out of what are the expectations that we either fulfill or go against? And so in Interabang, I was really playing with kind of breaking down any sort of, um, basically whenever there's an expectation that one would have, I went another direction. Or I would take a movement that would be familiar and deconstruct it until it was something else. Um, and one of I was dealing a lot with kind of icons and going from maybe like a, a core core member in a ballet waving a rose <laughs> to kind of like a gremlin crawling out of a sewer. Or yeah. like how does one move between those two um, movement languages? And how do you kind of surprise your audience with what um, arises? Um, so the whole piece was kind of was about you know your your creatures on the floor and all of a sudden there's like a queen who emerges or um kind of sifting but moving between um worlds oh my god and I'm I'm just like because you brought up the political I'm thinking of all sorts of parallels to what's going on now and the kinds of um facades are being held up of like ceremony and respectability when at the exact same time all of, the, all of this ugliness and um, empty words and yeah, the way that words can be manipulated to mean different things. I mean, even the idea actually this summer in grad school, the idea of freedom and improvisation came up and made me think a lot about the word freedom and how we use it in American um, mythology, really. Yeah, but it is an idea that has very little concrete meaning. <laughs> um, it's kind of used as a weapon oftentimes and. And kind of like, what is that? What is freedom? What is it possible, or is it really just a uh, an idea that we use to serve whatever goals we have? Um, you know, freedom for who um, can you know? So it's, it's a yeah. It is. There's a lot of 
political implications to a lot of, of ideas that um, are emerging. Do you but, feel like, um, is this typical of the work that you create as a choreographer? Do you feel like it's usually in conversation with like world events and politics? Or is that something that's kind of been new with this extreme environment that we're in? I think it's something that's been kind of in the back of my, I think that all of my work does kind of serve as a platform for whatever is going on inside of um, my personal um, life, which is of course also political because we're Mm -hmm. citizens in the world. And so there are these kind of um, vehicles for it. Um, And I work a lot with my family as well. So my brother is my main, my my brother, my dad, and my mom, my mom are like my main collaborators, which is That's right. something that I, I didn't admit for a long time. I seem young. No, and I really want to hear about that it. too. <laughs> um, and my, they're all kind of, we, we have a lot of conversations. So I feel like the conversations that we have um, make their way into the art as well. And so I did another piece that was um, called Dark and Pretty Flat that was kind of about traversing um, from from we, my family moved from LA to New York and these like long cross country trips and how, um, and I actually, then the title of the piece came out of sending my mom a text message like, Oh, where you are, where are you? Like, what does it look like? Or what are you, what are you looking at? And she's like, Oh, it's dark, pretty flat. <laughs> like, this, this, um, and the piece was kind of about like the American America as this place where like I I am an American I was born in Chicago I lived in LA and I lived in New York and and yet there's this so much of the country that is basically foreign yeah, to me it's so huge. and kind of that idea of like home and you know being a foreigner at home or um, you know or whatever at home in a foreign land that's your land um, kind of ideas of just belonging and orientation really I feel like a lot of my work is about orientation. Um, in 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 terms of like the body itself, I um, and then as a metaphor for kind of um, broader ideas. Yeah, but I'm always fascinated about that about if geography affects how people function as artists. Did you get? Did your family move to New York before you started Juilliard, or did they come here after you had? It was after, actually. Um, oh, my they brother followed went, you. My brother, <laughs> they followed, yeah. They are like, wait, why do we live in L.A.? <laughs> so my brother ended up um, going to Cooper Union for visual art. Okay. Um, and now he's actually um, about to start a grad school for, for music. Um, but he, um, we both moved to Brooklyn, and so they, they decided that they wanted to live here as well. Um, and so, yeah, they basically our artistic collaborations are kind of like everybody go do your own thing and we'll come together and it's kind of really interesting like how those different form influence one another um I never I never give too much instruction even though I'm usually the one kind of uh steering the ship but Mm -hmm. you know everybody does their own thing and it is kind of this collective group think on a topic so in Bang was like all right we're dealing with the slipperiness of meaning go (laughs) and so kind of like what that elicited was really fascinating um and I've been I've been now I'm in grad school and I'm doing a lot more of like breaking down these ideas and um and we've been just doing a lot of in like improvisation and and um Laban talking about kind of like meaning making out of out of really out of movement but out of anything like how we kind of um 
imbue things with meaning mm-hmm. and, and just how that is a really slippery thing. Um, and that movement is our first language actually like having like babies, their first way of communicating with their parents is all nonverbal and nonlinear. Um, and so that as like this really powerful language, um, and that we kind of forget about it as we develop other skill sets like talking and, um, writing and all of these other ways of communicating, but that, um, there's something about like visual and um, movement-based um, language that is very slippery and it varies greatly between cultures. And it starts to kind of be this really fascinating thing of like, how does, can you change one thing about something and all of a sudden it means something else? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> so many things in there that I want to talk about. But can we go back to your family a little bit? Because I, I usually ask, like, how does your family take in your choice to be an artist for your career? And obviously, the fact that your entire family are your collaborators now speaks <laughs> speaks so strongly right. about that. But um, was that how? What was that like when you were growing up, and how has that led to the way you guys work together now? Yeah, yeah. I think actually our our collaborative kind of way of working started probably when we were born. <laughs> I think um, <laughs> my parents are both visual artists. Um, they went, both went to Carnegie Mellon and School for the Art Institute of Chicago um, for visual art. And all throughout our, our growing up, we always did visual art, um, uh, acting, and um, dance, of course. We played instruments. Um, they kind of just wanted to immerse us in different ways of express, expressing ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, I think that we, we kind of started early. My mom, we, I think Halloween was probably one of our first, <laughs> like our first collaborations. <laughs> like, okay, this is where I'm going for. This is what's in my head. I want to make toothpaste. Like, how do we make this happen? <laughs> so, so I think there was kind of a lot of early um, investing in um, creativity. I went to a Montessori school when I was mm-hmm. really young, which is all about kind of sensory learning and um, as a way of kind of full body learning and your body is like, I think that's another thing I've been really thinking about lately is how your body actually thinks that we have this kind of um, separation of the mind and the body, but actually your whole body is not really very separated. It's all one thing. Um, And so kind of thinking with your body brain integration was something that we, we did. (laughs) We kind of just, we, any kind of playtime or imaginary, you know, stuff. My parents were on board with that. Um, so, yeah, and I, my brother and I have been making work. He, when I was in, um, he would make the music for me when I was in college for I different know. pieces. <laughs> Which is so amazing. I love that. It's been really, I mean, he's kind of, um, you know, he, we always have this joke that, like, he's, he's, um, he was a little bit slow to get you to you, but he always gets it to you like by the deadlines, like night before the show. Like, okay, Cody, I need the music. Don't <laughs> <laughs> so wait. It's always amazing. <laughs> but yeah, we've we've had this like kind of ongoing collaboration for a while now. Um, and he's, I think it's he's younger. Like, what's that? He's younger. He's younger by three years. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, he's um, kind of veered more towards visual arts and music, music being something that he's now really focusing on. Um, but he's definitely, I don't think that I would um, have any dances if it weren't for his music. I really think it is kind of 
a huge, huge element in how I think about dance making hmm. and this kind of counterpart. A lot of times I'll, I'll, I'll offer a movement that has almost like a silliness to it, but when paired with his music that has this kind of sincerity and emotional content, it changes the way that the, that the movement reads. So hmm. it really is this like deep pairing of art forms. Um, and I, even when I was in school, my mom would send me, um, costumes. <laughs> and once she sent me this dress that was really, really, really long. And I, she, I think she thought I was going to cut it to be like a reasonable length. Um, and I didn't, I left it as the, like, I don't know, 10 feet long or whatever it was. And I made a whole dance kind of about that. Um, so we kind of had this ongoing, like surprising each other in this dialogue. And my dad, I think my dad, actually, his art is very much in the dark place. <laughs> he, his work is very, like, a lot of his um, art making, mm-hmm. and they're, they definitely play with apocalyptic imagery and kind of darkness and humor, and but they're beautiful. They're really gorgeous. Um, and my mom right now is working on, like, a drawing series that's all, like, feminist um, outlook on it, women from history and um, who are complicated. Um, so I think that their their political their well political but also um, artistic interests have definitely um, set the tone for kind of how we developed as artists. But we each have our own our own voices. But um, yeah, <laughs> that's so wonderful. Um, has, how has it affected you, like when you're dealing with kind of like the art and commerce part of your life, or like day jobs, or trying to figure out? how to have the time and space to make your work. Um, Has it affected you watching them build that part of their life when you were growing up and deal with that kind of stuff? I know it's it's a little different with visual art. I don't, you know, you have like a physical thing that can be sold or... I think it is complicated because it's it's this thing of um, kind of that relationship is a tricky one because I do feel... Like, in a lot of ways, visual art can sort of participate in this commercial system that we have set up. But at the same time, if you're really doing what you want to do, it doesn't always. <laughs> so yeah. it's a tricky relationship. And I feel like actually my family <laughs> is, um, we're kind of like romantic idealists when it comes to that stuff. And so in our, I feel like my strategy has been... Um, so far, not necessarily the best one. I'm working on that, <laughs> which is to totally separate them, which, yeah. um, which you know, is definitely a strategy. No, and <laughs> but, it's in a, that's what I'm doing now, too. It's an effective one. Yeah. I, I, I found that the, the dances I've made that were paid for by someone else completely, and I had, you know, made a profit from it, and I was able to pay my rent with it, um, I wasn't necessarily as... They didn't do the thing in my heart that they that other works have done. Yeah, um, and I was proud of them and all of that, but it, it kind of didn't um, didn't feel completely like mine. It felt like I was kind of beholden to another um, voice or the other whoever was sponsoring the work. I I felt that I um, kind of had to include their point of view as a as a just kind of the nature of the um, situation. Right. And I do feel like there's something about kind of it being this um, 
project from your heart that's on your own terms. It doesn't necessarily lend itself to uh, money making, <laughs> but I'm, I'm work. I feel like I'm trying to figure out like how that could, that could happen. And I do think it is to kind of like open up like where the dance happens, how it happens. I'm, I'm working on trying to think more creatively inside of kind of a commercial system because dance is not, you don't end up with a product. Um, it's experiential based. It's kind of more of an oral history that you're passing on or a kinetic um, yeah. dialogue you're investing in. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I, that is something that I am working on. <laughs> I, I have had a million day jobs, which have been, you know, they have informed my work as well. Um, I, one of the more peculiar ones was I, I made chandeliers for two and a half years in Brooklyn. For two and a half years? <laughs> I think Beyonce might have one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> really fancy chandeliers. They're really, you know, just over the like top. hand stringing crystals. Um, they were sort actually of these metal draped, like draped metal chandeliers, <laughs> very mod, but like very over the top, like romantically, you know, they're, they're great, but, but it was nothing to do with dancing, but it did actually teach me kind of like patience and, um, and strategy as far as like problem solving and, and and also how like dance can help you out in many many situations the creative thinking creative problem solving yeah. is something that I think is definitely developed um, throughout my dance life that has served me in other ways and then kind of circled back onto dance as well um, but I yeah I think I have had a million side jobs so that's one of the things I'm trying to figure out is like how do I have dance actually sustain me versus it being almost like a child that I pour my, my, myself into kind of facilitating that part of my life. That, yeah. And I feel like that's something that I don't know if you found this coming out of Juilliard, but I, I wasn't necessarily thinking that way when I graduated, I thought, Uh I thought that we would be able to kind of fit more seamlessly into the commercial side of it. Coming out, coming out of that sort of training program, but when when it doesn't happen naturally, then it's like, okay, <laughs> what is yeah. this? What does this mean for me? That doesn't mean I'm less of an artist. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, but how do I negotiate that part of my life without uh, letting it affect my self esteem or the way I interact with other people or just you know we live in an expensive city, you know. Hey, I do think that is the thing is that our city used to be something and that's kind of the school kind of we were we were kind of um, the system changed while we were in school and probably before that actually but a lot of our teachers were functioning in a very different New York <laughs> and and a very different um, yeah environment for the arts yeah um, even though the arts have always struggled they definitely are struggling way more now um, a lot of kind of the company models or like, I, yeah, I don't know about, I'm only really know much about dance in that regard, but the, the, a lot of the company models have really changed and the funding models have changed. And so I do think that our generation has also been put in this position where if you don't get into some kind of, um, system, um, then it's, you have to invent your own system. <laughs> and so, yeah, it is kind of just navigating a constantly shifting world in which you have to you have to think outside of um, of like the 80s model of yeah. like oh you, you join a company and then you dance for 20 years and then you do this and you do that um, and so I think for me it was kind of this I'm going to become a choreographer because then I'm in control 
yeah. uh, of my own creative life. And no one can cut me. <laughs> no one can, you can't, because you have a little bit more, um, contr- yeah, I guess it is, like, you have a fulfillment in whatever it is that you're doing, but then you have to reinvent the rules constantly and navigate and problem solve. And um, the city, I think, is also very much becoming, um, yeah, like the Soho that people had lost in, that they were making work and their rent was, you know, $50 a month. I've been doing a lot of research, like Gus Solomons Jr. is this amazing man, he's like taught all over the world, and he's like a choreographer, dancer, he's really phenomenal, but he lived in Soho for like nothing, Um, and that was kind of facilitated this arts um, oasis in which all of these dance, these new kind of ways of moving were born, and I feel like our generation has a different set of obstacles, and that we don't necessarily have these... um, gathering places for ideas to be um, generated. And there are organizations that are trying to facilitate that, but it's much more against the grain of what the city wants, you know? And so I feel like I know a lot of people that are being pushed out of New York and moving to other cities and finding that that's a solution. Um, But yet, I don't know for you, but for me, I I feel like New York is so much this place of like, that's where um, the audience is, especially it's such a wonderful city for valuing abstraction and how that kind of, um, yeah, there's just a long, yeah. long kind of history of that kind of thinking. And and, and for collaboration, of- too. There's just, like, there's nothing like it for collaboration, just the amount of artists that are there and the the ease with which everybody's able to mesh together. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's a really rich dialogue. Um, but yeah, I feel like every year my, my the way that my brain thinks changes so much just based on the work that I saw. Yeah. Or the conversations I've had or, you know, someone will kind of critique my work in a way that makes me rethink it. Or, um, yeah, even just seeing, like, marches and just the amount of energy that's available to do stuff (laughs) is really phenomenal. So there's still all of that there. But there is this kind of, it's becoming less and less artist-friendly in the practicalities of life. I kind of, I, I, I feel like the dance, like dancers and actors and artists and they actually power the city <laughs> in a big way. Yeah. Well, so even though you live in New York, we're talking over Skype because you're in Wisconsin. Yes. Yeah. I'm in Milwaukee. <laughs> in Milwaukee. Yeah. Um, I've only been there once a long time ago. Uh, but can you tell me a little bit about the grad program you're in and what made you decide to go back to school? Yeah, definitely. I really actually wanted to fill in. So the grad program I'm in is um, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. It's a low residency um, graduate program for dance, like an MFA in dance at the end of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, it was a good fit because I wanted to both kind of maintain my life in New York and also get this um, MFA and kind of be exposed to a lot of different people and different ways of thinking and kind of fill in a lot of the gaps that I felt I had um, from from like a conservatory, from the conservatory kind of training, um, which was, um, I, I do think that there's um, a great value in kind of both angles. Um, but I feel like the work that I'm doing here in Milwaukee is much more about contextualizing a lot of the things that I learned in undergraduate um, in a physical way Mm-hmm. with more kind of readings and the philosophies behind things and um, histories of, of thought processes and um, 
And so, yeah, I'm taking like composition, but it's a very different composition class than I took in undergrad. Um, and just kind of filling it, kind of understanding greater um, uh, context for what I do yeah. and how I do it and how it, how it can be a much more powerful tool in the world. Um, I think dance and, and, um, and art in general can be this really transformative thing. And I think that our world needs it desperately right now. Um, I think it could be the answer <laughs> if we can find a way to harness it and use it. Um, distribution for dance is a big issue. And just kind of like how do we how do we make this um, as powerful and as potent as it, I think it is. And so yeah, I, this summer I'm taking I'm, I'm taking all of the classes offered. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm taking, I took eight classes. Oh my god! Like, way too many credits. <laughs> but um, it's a really interesting program in that we come in the summer and my class um, started out with ten people and now we have seven. But um, I really love my cohort. It's a really um, interesting group of people. Everyone's coming to dance from a really different point of view. And we, we have conversations, um, of course, in class, but all throughout the night. Even we're like, we're like oh, my God, it's 1 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> we're still talking about. You are like, back in school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, um, so you know, how, how far into it are you now? So it's, uh, I'm doing it in five semesters, and okay. I'm in my fourth semester now. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm almost done, sort of. Not really, but I still have my entire thesis to do. Um, <laughs> but, but you'll do I, that yeah. back in New York. Like, you'll... Exactly. Yeah, so I can, I can um, kind of do all of the physical dancing here and a lot of the classes that are, um, yeah, that require your body to be present. <laughs> and then when I'm in New York, I do a lot of this last semester before the summer semester. I spent a ton of time at the New York Performing Arts Library yeah. um, watching videos. And um, it, actually, New York is a really wonderful place to be for that because there's this huge resource right there that um, even when I was in school at Juilliard, I didn't really, even it was across the street, it was almost too easy. So now I'm there <laughs> every day. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm taking like composition, um, improvisation, um, Laban movement analysis. Uh, I'm taking directing, uh, like theater directing for dancers, oh, awesome. which is really fascinating. Which I I, I would love to hear your. <laughs> it's probably it's, I think she's trying to give us kind of a little um, mini like acting, really an acting course, mm-hmm. um, but then kind of reframing it so that we can use it when we're. Um, in more of like a, a dance scenario, but right. it's been really fascinating, and it makes me curious about what you guys are doing down the hall. <laughs> I always wish that I had sat in and seen, because um, our acting teacher, Richard Feldman, taught you guys a class, right? Your senior year, was that right? Yeah, he was really, really amazing. I wish I could have seen, like, if he, the way he intera- taught you guys was different from the way he taught yeah. us, or it was just pretty much the same, or... Yeah, it, that, I feel this class was very much about kind of the imaginary world that you're building around yourself yeah. um, as you move through space. And and this class was interesting because it's very much about using our voice, um, which I have found myself doing in pieces. I dance for a woman named Catherine Theron, um, and also a woman named Megan Williams who was considering using um, text more in her work. And just because I think there's we do this thing of kind of creating these separation, and, you know, thinking of, a voice is something separate that we don't have access to as a dancer um, and kind of giving us uh, tools and techniques and kind of 
re reintroducing what is natural. I think a lot of this summer is is this um, re embracing of our natural states and like how a baby moves, how a mm-hmm. how you learn to talk and walk and interact with the world, and how do you tell a story? You know, how do you do? How do you tell a story? How do you like you know take take artifice and turn it into something natural? Um, and you know at that that um, whole process of kind of reintegrating what we already know has been really fascinating. So she, she had us tell a story of a moment in our lives that was really transformative. Um, and I actually have been thinking a lot about transformation as a concept um, choreographically and, and otherwise. And so anyway, this, this, this prompt really was fascinating because we had to, everyone cried. <laughs> it was like, it was like <laughs> the class where everybody cried. <laughs> it sounds like an acting class. <laughs> yeah. Which is really fascinating because like, really honestly, most dance classes, no one cries. <laughs> just like, maybe if you like, you know, like a little too high, I don't know. But usually it's not, not a very emotional experience. Um, but, and it did kind of trigger once we got into comp class, we were, we were actually doing work that we were crying. <laughs> so it was kind of this gateway into another way of thinking of moving. Yeah. Um, which was really fascinating, but, um, Oh, yeah. I don't know. It's been a really interesting summer. Well, that'll be, yeah, I'm so curious to see how you end up using that in your work, because you already integrate all of these other art forms, like sculpture and music and stuff into what you do. Um, I was always interested why they put at Juilliard, why they put that acting class the fourth year. Like, it seems like something that, like, like, like you said, how it affected the choreography class after that. Like if you'd had it earlier in your training, you could have been seeing how you could integrate it into your work after that, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. You guys, did you guys have, you had movement class, right? Yeah. We had a lot of movement classes, which with um Moni and stuff like that and then we had a couple dance classes we had like a jazz dance class that Daryl taught amazing (laughs) and he did like a workout class and stuff um a little bit of like ballroom dance and stuff like that but interesting yeah I've actually been thinking about it a lot like preparing for childbirth which sounds crazy but No, it's dancing, it is. But it's like we, those classes that we had with Moni were so much about breath, putting your imagine, putting your body into places that were difficult and using, using your imagination to, uh, to, you know, withstand being uncomfortable and things like that. And um, I was talking to one of my classmates, to Joanne, who's had a baby and she was like, oh, I think you'll be fine. Like, you've <laughs> obviously, imagination. Yeah. <laughs> I won't know what it's like for me until I'm there. But, you know, it's not a foreign concept to us to Absolutely. put your imagination into a place and use your breath to change your body and stuff like that. So the body is a malleable thing. It can go wherever <laughs> you take it. Really can. It's kind of this, yeah. this um, it is kind of this transforming thing that can yeah, I, I feel like imagination and the, like, the physicality of your imagination is such a concrete thing. There's these actual physical manifestations of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, childbirth is like, that's a whole dance. <laughs> it's like a, a dance with a mission. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of how I'm trying to think about it. I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be brilliant. <laughs> Um, well, that's so exciting. And you'll have your MFA. Was that just something you wanted to do for your own 
education or do you want to specifically to be able to teach? I know a lot of people value the MFA for that reason. Yeah, yeah, I definitely am interested in teaching. And I'm also just interested in kind of, yeah, I'm interested in teaching very much um, and how that can become a greater part of my artistic practice mm-hmm. um, and and being articulate in whatever it is that I'm doing. And I realized that actually teaching, I don't have a, a big teaching practice right now. And that's something that I'm trying to like figure out how to make that a bigger part of my of my creative life. Um, but when you're in rehearsals, you are teaching. Yeah. Um, and so kind of like trying to find ways of translating that into a classroom setting um, and really thinking about how it can be not like a top down, but really pedagogically um, everyone bringing themselves to the experience. Um, and I do that in my, in my, in my choreography, um, you know, my choreographic process, I work with really, really talented artists so it is oftentimes a dialogue and I'll give them an idea and then they'll turn it into something (laughs) and so kind of like figuring out how that approach can also um manifest in the classroom um and yeah it's been it's been an interesting experience in that way and that the, the program being far away doesn't necessarily facilitate um like a hands-on experience with that at the moment, but it does kind of provide you a framework to go into the world with. And I took um, secondary education as a class um, last semester. And so having having a professor kind of read over your syllabus and be like, okay, well, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, those <laughs> technical things that you don't, you haven't had to deal with before. Absolutely. I think writing is having to write things down and really have it mean something has been an amazing experience of like your writing matters and it's a creative act and and also translating something that is nonlinear into something linear is um, yeah. is a whole kind of <laughs> acrobatics. <laughs> well, especially if you're asking other people to articulate something that way, you know, like make, making sure that <laughs> you're able to do it as well. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for my kind of jumping around, but for my thesis, I'm um, I'm investigating this woman Nancy Meehan, who um, who is a, was a choreographer in New York for a long time, but she didn't actually um, necessarily teach in more in, in institutions. She didn't teach in a lot of like Juilliard or St. Purchase or larger institutions. But mm-hmm. she um, she's a really fascinating artist, and her work was all interdisciplinary and. Her husband was this man, uh, Anthony Candido, who taught architecture at Cooper Union, and there and he made these costumes that were really wild. There were like these unitards that were painted, and he would like start painting on the dancers when they were wearing them, and then <laughs> stuff them with stuff and like paint them the rest. And um, he made these sets that were part of the piece, oftentimes, um, and. There, that whole there's. I feel like there's a whole line of of its um like somatic work that went through Martha Graham, but then went on to Will Hawkins. Kind of um, had a much a very somatic approach to modern dance, and through Hawkins, um, then Meehan would dance for him. And then when she went on to have her own company, she kind of took this like interdisciplinary somatic approach to dance making. And um, I've been drawn to her just because of the visual art and kind of interdisciplinary aspect. Um, but her whole teaching approach is just really interesting. Um, and she's passed on now, but I've been taking um, classroom named uh, Patty Bryant. And so it's just been kind of a oral history through teaching, through the body. Yeah. Um, it's something that I'm really fascinated by and how kind of uh, – 
that information, like whatever someone gathered throughout their career, their artistic um, contributions, how do those pass on to another generation? Or how do they pass on to the audiences? Or who, who, was, who are their audiences? Or how do you kind of um, qualitate, quantitate um, a career in that way? And who it's affecting and how? Um, so it's just been, it's been an interesting kind of, I'm just beginning, but it's something I'm really fascinated by. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. How do you find your audience as a choreographer? Because that's, that's always interesting to me with theater, too. Like, a lot of times the audience is either other artists or, like, a very wealthy demographic. Are there ways that you've tried to find certain communities that you're hoping will see your work? Or how does that work for you? This is another area that I'm definitely investigating because I find that it is kind of this thing of um, my work actually goes over pretty well with visual artists and architects, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but I'm trying to broaden that. Um, and I think that um, dance is this particular thing in that if you kind of send out a wide invitation, it can be intimidating um, because Sometimes people haven't seen it before. Very few people who aren't dancers have actually seen a dance show, I've found. Um, and so it really does kind of end up being this word of mouth. You know, someone, someone's, usually it's, you know, your dancer's boyfriend, <laughs> and he brings a friend, and then he brings a friend. Right. Um, if you haven't had a reason to see a modern dance show, then you might never have encountered it. Exactly. Yeah. And I do think teaching is a huge vehicle for spreading, um, kind of the spreading the interest in, in dance and in, um, performing arts really that in that level, in a non a kind of non-commercial, um, environment. Um, but I do think that that's something that I really need to work on. Honestly, it's something that I, I have a pretty solid, like, group of people that come to my shows but it does tend to be people who already know about it and mm. I actually want to do an experiment of like everybody bring five people that have never seen a dance show you know <laughs> and I, I've even you know invited people off the street I like anybody like you know I, I once went to a show and anyone who was online I invited them to my show <laughs> kind of like non-traditional tactics but even then you're still only dealing with people who usually go to dance shows um and so that's I think that's a huge hurdle um that hasn't quite been figured out yet, um, because it, yeah, I do want. I want my. You know, some of. I feel like a lot of times the pieces that I'm making um, are challenging, and that they might require a few viewings. Um, there's a lot of um, complexity in some of the more subtle elements of it, and even my own mother. Like I needed to see that three times, and now I <laughs> now I really get it. <laughs> so I actually think that there's a lot of um, creative ways of kind of. Um, inviting new audiences that I'm excited to explore in the next few years of kind of making dance relevant. Like how does this, yeah. how can this be something that inspires other thinking that isn't just for, um, 
people who can afford it or people who have, are in these kind of like very Eurocentric institutions. Um, and so I think that that's something that needs attention and needs a whole infrastructure around it. And, um, and the infrastructure of dance is something that I actually went to a, a workshop on just recently. Like how, how do dances get, end up on the stage? How does art end up on the, in a, a venue of viewing? Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, it is kind of, um, it happens in different places. Like dance happens in clubs, dance ha- happens in, you know, someone wrote like grocery aisles, you know, dance happens <laughs> everywhere. Um, and we all know how to dance, you know, it's, it's something that we do every day in, or not every day, but we do it at birthday parties and weddings and, um, all these venues, but having it be kind of, um, within that really, uh, I don't know, really conceptual world or as soon as dance becomes something that feels far away, how do we make it inviting, even though what we're dealing with might be challenging. So right. making the kind of more challenging conceptual work um, inviting and generous. And I do, I do think that that is a big, um, a big task. So, yeah. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's interesting because I feel like a lot of people, uh, their mind would immediately skip to like social media. Like that seems to be the way that people try to, quote unquote, make things accessible right Right. now is through technology, um, which is useful at points, but it might not necessarily be the best way or the most interesting way to make something more generous, like you said. I think it's a good start. I think it's, I think it's a good way because people kind of get to, I think anything requires some, everything we do, we've been educated to enjoy. So even going to a football game, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily go to a football game if you didn't know what football was or what the <laughs> rules were or, you know, it's, it's a whole, I mean, I myself am intimidated by football games. <laughs> so I think it's, it's kind of this thing of like, what am I, a lot of times people come to a dance show. I think theater, probably a more abstract theater probably deals with similar um, hurdles, but if there's a narrative or something that you're, you're, it's a little bit more legible as far as the content goes, that can be a big help. Um, just for people who are, you know, everyone's kind of familiar with the narrative of sorts, but I think all, all art has a narrative. It's just a matter of kind of dipping your toe in and then dipping your toe in a little more. <laughs> and I, I remember the first time I went and saw like a Merce Cunningham piece, I hated it. I thought it was terrible <laughs> because I didn't have a value system that allowed me to understand it and to see it the way that it had been choreographed to right. be seen. And so I do think that this is kind of like how we make meaning out of things does require information. And so there has to be kind of a a patience and also a curiosity. And, um, and yeah, there's just a lot of kind of social media can be an excellent, like kind of first, um, first step into something that might be seem a little uninviting. Um, you know, it's not a big, it's not a big commitment to watch a five minute trailer of a, some, dance piece or abstract something or other or or non-abstract but that having a, a little bit of a um a warm-up <laughs> for it yeah but I do think that there is something about 
um, there's something kind of um, analog and amazing and also appears in many, 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 many cultures of just people gathering together to share an experience with their bodies. And there's a certain sort of like kinesthetic empathy that you feel for another body. Uh-huh. Um, and this whole thing about like, there's actually, I don't know if everybody, there's this thing about mirror neurons. Um, but you, you, your body actually feels what someone else is experiencing if it's something that you are familiar with or that you've done yourself or, or, or you've just seen lots of times. So there's this thing of like the more you see something, the more your body actually experiences it, the more you enjoy watching it yeah. um, or enjoy participating. A lot of work is participatory. A lot of site-specific work or um, – work that's that's taken out of kind of like very again like Eurocentric kind of proscenium stages is this kind of um there's so much work that's not that um <laughs> and so kind of just like I don't know there's a, like the, however one is viewing the piece to have more information about it um I think that any kind of social media can be a great way to kind of introduce people to the framework and the value system that you're working within um and then beyond that though I do think that one needs to be like next to the sweating body. <laughs> like, there's something about that. This like cave, cave woman person impulse to like yeah. be in this to have a shared experience that I think is invaluable. Um, oh my god! And that's and like empathy is what we need most yeah. right now. Yeah. empathy can save us. <laughs> and um, yeah, the the internet is sometimes hides you from that. <laughs> But being in a room, being in a room with someone and like seeing the physical effort, um, absolutely, it's huge. Because then you're in it together. You're whatever yeah. they're experiencing, you are experiencing. Yeah. Um, and there, yeah, I, I think it's really much, much, um, much harder to do the wrong thing if you're, um, if you're in it with them, whoever is performing. Yeah. Um, I do think that our connection to one another as humans. Um, requires that, like this, like a, a connection that any kind of performance can provide, really deeply. Are there any lessons that you've learned over the last couple of years that you're really proud of? I think um, definitely patience and humility, and just I'm I'm a pretty slow moving person. Um, <laughs> I feel like I feel I feel like I've learned a lot from listening, just kind of. Hmm, that's a good question. I need to think about the question, but yeah, I guess really being humble and knowing when, um, really holding myself accountable when I've, when I've haven't necessarily been, uh, haven't really done what I thought I was going to do or haven't really hmm. created an environment in which others can thrive thoroughly. Um, I feel like there's a lot of responsibility when you're, leading people through a creative environment um, and kind of really learning like what other people need to thrive and and finding ways to facilitate that um, it's yeah. a hard thing to do but I feel like that's something that I've learned is like sometimes I didn't do that so good <laughs> and, you know like asking a lot of people um, to fill in maybe the gaps that I didn't um, necessarily facilitate and yeah I guess being a very learning to be a more responsible leader um, no, and that's, that's huge to be able to admit that and to apologize. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you, if you need to, or just to learn from it for the next time, but, um. No, apologies, apologies are important. <laughs> you know, like, no. I really, yeah. <laughs> and then you can learn from it and do better next time. There are so many people, I feel like, who, who can't 
admit when they're wrong. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I've I've found that to be such a valuable thing in my life. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're all human. We're all wrong all the time. So <laughs> I think it's kind of like if yeah, working together to kind of like help each other be better people too. Yeah. I feel like especially when I'm like really stressed out or I've cut out more than is reasonable because um, that's the nature of the beast is that we're all, you know, we're all like really ambitious and we want to make these big things happen with very, very little. Um, and I do think that that's another thing is like understanding actually how much value your, your, your collaborators have and like the audience and how much you're asking of people um, as participating in, in a creative activity. Um, and oftentimes like ambition can get the better of you. <laughs> like I want to make this like the best piece ever. And like, oh wow, I just asked my dancers to like relearn this entire section like a week before the show. You know, that wasn't that wasn't cool. <laughs> right, right, right. But, um, so yeah, I guess um just really having like a like so much I have so much deep respect for for artists and so kind of making sure that I'm not taking advantage of others, you know, creativity and talent and time and um, emotional space as well. Yeah. It's such a it's such a big deal to do something together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I've kept you for a long time, so I have just two quick little questions at the end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when you are feeling like you're in the dark place, whatever that means for you, and you're feeling uninspired or whatever it is, are there things like concrete things that you turn to again and again, like books you reread or music you listen to, or what get what gets you unstuck from that place? I think I think it's my my community. I think it's my friends and family, and really other people. I feel like very much you know we live for each other, and whenever I get too far into the dark place, I feel that that connection with others, just actually reaching out to another person and explaining why you're feeling. Like, I am being smothered by this, you know, feeling of, you know, nothingness. <laughs> or that what I'm doing doesn't matter. Or that, yeah. you know, and in truth, maybe nothing matters. And then everything matters. You know, it's this thing of, like, life is so fleeting. And every single thing you do does is, like, the biggest thing in the world. And... Yeah, I feel like I've had a couple experiences where I've realized how very truly valuable just every single day is. And that it is music, it is these things, but it's also just very much like the people. I feel like people people keep me caring and keep me getting up every morning and trying to add to the world and create something that will communicate to somebody else. I, I think that all art is really about this um, turning your internal world taking your imagination, taking your everything that lives inside you and offering it to somebody else um, and allowing them access to their own world and you to theirs. So I, I feel like it really, when it comes down to it, it's, it's people. <laughs> That's a beautiful way to put it. Um, and then finally, I know you've been busy there in Milwaukee, but um, is there anything that you've seen recently of any art form that you want to recommend? <laughs> I saw um, a, an improvisation performance. Um, there's a, a woman who here is my professor, Maria Gillespie, who has a, a series called Hypervocal, and mm-hmm. she works with the community. Anyone in the community who um, wants to participate, and they get together and they pick a venue, and they have one rehearsal, and then they have a show. 
and it's it's just a really incredible way of building a community and they have anyone it's free anyone can come and see it and they pop up all over the city oh cool and it's been i think it's a really excellent example of how to make art more accessible and so yeah i think it's been really inspiring of just making making art for the people um by the people (laughs) Um, and improvisation is like a really big big thing here and i I saw this performance at this place called villaterra which has a view of um, lake michigan and it was all local musicians and um, dancers and it was gorgeous and they had some structure and it had um, invention and you know collaboration. Interge- there was teachers, students, um, all performing together alongside each other. Um, and I thought it was really beautiful. So, yeah, That's wonderful. <laughs> well, Asme, thank you so much for doing this. This thank was you so much. Really, really nice. so lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Compass Podcast. If you find these conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of The Compass, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thecompasspodcast. Pledges start at as little as $1 a month. You'll get access to bonus content and anything you can give would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you have a moment, please rate or review in iTunes. Every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller, music by Brandon Spieth, audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.